Live from Arkham Asylum, this is The Real Trains of Thought. Hello, folks. Hi, Tim. Um, yeah, we're here at Arkham Asylum for another uh, exciting episode of Derailed Trains of Thought. Can we go back to Narnia, please? <laughs> I would like nothing better. Um, oh, boy. Um, I should never have listened to that travel agent. Home. I, I thought it was kind of weird when he was dressed in all purple. It was cheap. Don't, don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, uh, we'll get through this one as fast as possible, guys. Because, uh, yeah, this place is creepier than that hotel we were at. Yeah, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but we can promise you another insightful episode even beyond our creepy environment. Yeah, fear in, it makes us think better. Yes, I hope. Um, and the gun pointed at my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. I guess let's go ahead and get in, get into it then. Let's get into story school. So, uh, again, we're kind of playing off of episodes here. Last time we talked about God and fiction. This week or this episode we are looking into how we portray evil and we'll try to make this distinct from our villains episode if you really want we think there is enough content here to be unique but we don't want to over it might be easy to overlap so we're going to attempt not to yeah there'll be a little probably but we'll do our best because evil we're thinking evil more in the in the more how and why do we show certain actions as opposed to certain people i guess yeah. Tim, I told you that I thought uh, maybe a decent way to do it, at least think about this, um, and how we view evil, is I find it very interesting that when you talk about the Divine Comedy, if people even know what you're talking about, they've usually only read one of the three books, which is Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. which is concerned with hell. And there seems to be a fascination with that sort of thing. You know, there are two other books. There's one about purgatory, which, okay, Nowadays, they see it's not very popular. And there's one in heaven and going, moving towards God. And, you know, I haven't read it. I've read Inferno. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's a... I, I guess I have this theory that we're fascinated with evil. Well, you made a very interesting point in one of your um, author's notes in your Another World Flash Fiction collection about how people like Philip Pullman, atheist who wrote... What's his trilogy? Um, the uh, his dark materials, which is Golden Compass and yeah, and all those. Who b- basically says that uh, Satan in the Inferno is the hero, in essence, because uh, because of his courageous rebellion against God. Yeah, let me go ahead and read this because I think it's decent. Sure. I, mean, I happen to have it here from Nick's author's notes from Another World. Which, if you would like, I actually still have some physical copies. You just email us, and I can get it to you. And I start coughing. I'll try to edit. Tim will hopefully edit it out, but <laughs> my throat's really dry today. I mentioned the, the story's about Satan at a trial. And then I write these author notes to say, there's a scene in the Brothers Karamazov. Of course, there has to be Dostoevsky in this episode. <laughs> of course. Uh, where Ivan, the professed atheist, has a vision of Satan. It's a fascinating scene for many reasons, not the least of which is Satan's appearance. He's not frightening or horrific. He's shabby, I seem to remember, like a used car salesman or a rough-around-the-edges uncle. As for this trial, of course Satan would be declared innocent by, quote, a jury of his peers. Humans like rebellion. We like to overturn things in the name of, quote-unquote, progress. There's a reason people like, such as Philip Pullman, author of The Golden Compass, read Paradise Lost and believe Satan is the hero. 
If you've read Milton's poem, you understand that Satan's easily the most human character in the epic. How does that make you feel? So Satan's the most human of us. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, that explains a lot with how evil shown in film. That I'm Okay, you have the cartoony sort of evil where it's this, you know, bumbling bad guy. You know, the 80s cartoon. Twirling know. his mustache. Twir <laughs> like, next time, Gadget. <laughs> next <you know>. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as you get modern, especially modern, but not just modern, adult fiction, for lack of a better term, like the gray. Like, they'll show that things are evil, but... There's a fascination, you know, there's a reason, you know, Darth Vader is fascinating, uh -huh. and Boba Fett, and Ben Linus, and, yeah. um... And we talked a little bit about some of these reasons yeah. in the villains episode. Sometimes it's because they're more powerful, they get away with stuff, and that's certainly where the appealing to our human they, rebellion. They often seem smarter good guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they always, you know, you got the, you know, they always have these cunning plans, and... Well, and, and isn't that one situation we looked at oftentimes they have the rule of the land for a period of time you may have a rebel force that takes them out but for a long for a while they were in charge well here's uh, i'll use a recent example i've been watching this show alcatraz okay which is you know basically every week some guy from alcatraz shows up and they have to go hunt him down they're they're all these horrible people you know there's a poisoner and a person who plants bombs in random places just so to blow people up and a person who kidnaps kids and it, like takes them on a fun weekend and kills them, and Ugh. and it's not it's not presented gory particularly, but uh. they're they're psycho psychologically disturbed people. But the thread that runs through it is that they all kind of have this thing in their past that is at least an explanation of their evil or a reason or a a focal point. And there's this subplot about this doctor who talks about removing their memories so that it cures their evilness. Which is something that they deal with on Babylon Five too. I'd like to point out. That's true. With the with the um this one telepaths. Of the, yeah, telepaths. One of the psych cops, I think. Can. Yeah, they they wipe your brain, and that's one of the um, capital punishments. Uh huh. So you basically a complete personalities change. There's that monk uh -huh. who uh, was a, like a murderer, and they had wiped him, and he became a monk, mm -hmm. and then he started remembering pieces of who he was. Did he remember fully and was, did he get mad about it? I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay, it's been a while. But I think I think we come to a crux here that how we portray evil, at least modernly, tends to be there's an explanation for it. That something in your past, something happened. We, we psychologically explain evil. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's the only way or even the best way to do it. I mean, it certainly is a way. I mean, there are psychological influences, but is evil then simply bad choices? Yeah, we don't like the idea that we're all inherently bad. In fact, a lot of a lot of times you'll see villains, you know, spouting off that all humanity needs to be destroyed and, and all this kind of stuff, which in a sense, we do deserve that. But because it's it's only because that God provided a way out of that, that and because God finds value in human life that, you know, that's that's part of the reason why we fight against it. That's why we don't go off. I'll go off and commit mass suicide or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, the bad guy often likes to say, you're just like me. Yeah, if, if you just did it this way. Yeah. Yeah, sort of thing. Well, and, and that's an interesting, let me do the flip side, is that at least especially in movies, and not, and not quite as much in books, but what's e the per evil person is evil because he does something that makes you feel bad. Mm. Okay, yeah. Killing's always evil because, oh, well, murder. You know, this kind of brutal, you know, CSI sort of, there's blood everywhere. Because you have this emotional reaction to it, that that's not right. It's gory, it's disgusting, it's whatever. Until you reach that threshold when you're a teenager, you know, for that couple of years where you laugh at all the gore, but you think it's hilarious. But, um, 
but they don't you don't see quite as often the sense that things are right or wrong simply because there's a standard. Mm. Sometimes there is like if if you have a one of those stories about like a child serial killer or something. I think children are, still tend to be one of the few areas where people say no, you're not allowed to do this. No, but what I'm saying is it's wrong because it makes us feel bad, not because it's uh society has decreed that it's I mean, it's decreed bad because it, it still makes us uncomfortable. Uh-huh. But once it stops making us uncomfortable, is it still evil? Okay. I see, yeah, I see where you're going with this. Adultery isn't evil anymore because we all, we all feel comfortable with it I mean, it, it now. It's, it's a bad choice. It has consequences, but it's not evil. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I think that portrayal of evil is, I think, relatively prevalent, but I'm not sure. I personally don't think it's the best. Now, it's probably the easiest because you can make someone dislike your... This is why your your bad guy or your whoever your evil always has to have some sort of killing of innocence or ch- involve children somehow mm-hmm. or be random or be twisted. I mean, that's much easier to sell as evil than something most people do. Yeah. Even if from say a biblical point of view, it's still evil. Right. Well, and the other thing is that, and that's a very good point. That as opposed to something that everyone does, but also. I mean, if you if you try to have a character who's just pure evil for the sake of being evil, no one's going to buy that. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, there's always some sort of psychological reason for it. Which I'm not necessarily against, but that, that does play, in, especially for the, like, Alcatraz, very twisted evil. Yeah. It usually has some sort of... Right. But it can sometimes... Excuse it. <laughs> yes. That's a lost sort of Yeah, it can sometimes excuse it, yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let me pose another question to you that's kind of related to this. I read a very interesting forum debate on the webcomic that I follow, well, the webcomic that I follow the most, um, Order of the Stick, mm-hmm. which I've talked about on here before. But there is this conversation about how he portrays goblins. Because it's, you know, the setting of the webcomic is a very D&D fantasy type setting where goblins are tip- most typically like the most common monsters that you're going to go off and kill. Yeah. You know, Lord of the Rings. They, they kill hundreds of these things. Yeah. In the, sto- the webcomic's narrative... One of the antagonists becomes sort of an anti-hero because he's trying to reestablish, make the goblins appear as a legitimate race as opposed to the these creatures that are always just getting slaughtered by okay. paladins. Yeah. And but but part of his story is kind of how he's all the evil things that he tries to do what what would normally be considered a worthy cause sort of thing like consorting with an evil lich and and like slaughtering the city and stuff like that. But he's trying to do a good thing because his people were repressed and stuff. And so there was this debate about this on it. And the author of the webcomic himself said, look, the whole reason I did goblins like this is that I feel the whole idea that having a sentient humanoid race that is always up for it, that is always strictly evil, he considered that kind of a racism. Um, it's like, it's like, that's not realistic just because they're a different color or they have different ears or something than you, <laughs> then that, that doesn't give you an excuse to solve them, even if it, this is only just a fantasy setting. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting argument. And I can see where he's coming from. Like, I guess I would ask what you, what your reaction to that is. Well, I, I guess in the terms he framed it in saying it's a sentient race and they should have basically choice, uh-huh. you know, whether they're going to be good or bad. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I think... Like I think that like the Lord of the Rings orcs, I don't remember the what the Silmarillion says, but I think they were kind of fashioned out of people already. Yeah, that they are given already... over. It, it it's kind of like fallen angels, right? Where they've already made their choice and they're not 
they're not going gonna, back. They're not going <laughs> to switch. Yeah, and I'd say probably most fantasy monsters that are like that, whether it be in a book or D and D, that's probably what they're saying. They're they're mindless. You know, whether it be orcs or cybermen or daleks or, yeah. or what have you it's like they're they're never going to change it's too late for that for them that sort mm-hmm. of thing but i guess i i wonder if what he's saying is like if there's any measure of sentience in there you should be able to feel free to have room for redemption and you're not necessarily qualified to massive slaughter which i can partly see but i also partly see a problem with like because like you said fallen angels mm-hmm. i mean demons are in a sense a sentient being that there's, there's not really I, I don't think as far as i know Bible doesn't give much indication of redemption for yeah. them and i wonder i mean again what plays into is not just sentient but also other factors that we don't both in both in tolkien's example if i'm getting it right and in the demon example that we don't really understand the way their their moral makeup works or the way they made choices or yeah I wonder with the orc, you know, it seemed like they're basically humanoid. They're 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 on the same sort of plane of existence, mm-hmm. which I I mean I think that's the 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 good thing about the psychological approach is that you have this ability to change. Yeah, like I I think even Doctor Who there was that one Dalek who yeah the the, the very first yeah the yeah. very first Dalek episode they did was kind of about that the Doctor just wanting to kill him because all Daleks are are awful and this kind of stuff. And he's and the Dalek is like, well, you'd make a pretty good Dalek yourself. So I I think that honestly, I think that's a very interesting uh, way of tackling the subject. I mean, to me, on a on a technical writing level, it's largely on how you set up the creature. I mean, because a lot of you know a lot of uh, you know fifties horror movies are just yeah you know they make a creature because all they really want is something bad. You know, it's like a force of nature. It's like yeah, it's well, like it's not a tornado. It's a swamp thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Unless you're Alan Moore, then you probably do interesting things with it. But. <laughs> but that's true. I mean, it's we've had monsters in fiction since you know Odysseus, well, basically. Well, and then, but then sometimes even say Frankenstein, that's a very psychological monster. Very like that's true. It's just hurt, you know. Uh-huh. So I think I think there's ways to play it both ways, and I don't think either way is wrong for the writer as long as you kind of set up the rules to begin with right yeah no I, yeah and i agree what, what, no are you going to betray and because i think portraying evil there's at least two ways and i haven't thought through this completely there's one where you just say this thing person whatever is evil we're not going to argue about it we're going to make it just simply yeah for the sake of whatever you're saying this is bad mm-hmm. this guy this creature this race this you know a lot of times we have alien races that are like bugs or lizards and they're just evil because they're just evil right shadows Shad- yeah another babylon 5 reference you need to watch it if you haven't. Yeah, obviously, uh, since we keep talking about it. Or at least it. start at season two. Um, <laughs> but then I, then you can also do the portraying evil as a collection of choices. Mm. A collection of moving one way or another way. Now, the problem with that is you actually have to say that there's another way you can move. And what's the what's the differentiation between being good and evil? Is it just not doing certain evil acts? I mean, is being good just the absence of not being evil? Mm. And that's more of a discussion for what good is. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to try to tackle that one. <laughs> the trick is, though, I think, like, if you create any setting where, okay, you just have these creatures that are, you know, we're just going to generally assume that they're evil, then you're going to have, like, if it's a shared universe sort of thing, you're going to, eventually, you're going to have some writer who's like, yeah. they're all evil except for this one, who's like, no, they're just misunderstood. Yeah. Which, you know, we, we, we joke about it's just misunderstood, but it's actually a really good plot. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It certainly can be. And. <laughs> 
the way they changed like Ben Linus over the course of Lost from yeah. being an absolutely despicable, despicable character to someone that you actually feel really genuine sympathy for is an astonishing change. Speaking of Benjamin Linus remind me of it, but you know, because they torture him early on and you don't know if he's actually bad or not at that point. Yeah. But you have the well, you have my, this my mom always did. Well, okay. <laughs> you don't know if he's telling the truth, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Which you never really do. But <laughs> it comes up with a, a my personal pet peeve with how they portray evil as compared to good that somehow being evil is being on one side, but being good is you know, on the other side, though, you can do almost all the same things. It's like, in order to defeat evil, you must become evil. Yeah. Or to defeat the monster, you must become the monster. Which, to me, then, what's, what's the definition of evil, then? Is it just not being on the side of the hero? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the lame way to prevent, to, to portray evil, because you have so much... You can say a lot about what you're declaring evil. I mean... By by what you decide is evil in your story, you say a lot about how you view the world. Mm-hmm. It also makes a difference too. I mean, if that's the only thing that distinguishes your villain, that's, that doesn't say much for your hero either, no. actually. Because I mean, if your hero doesn't have his own moral standards, by or which sometimes they have a goal, but the more but the 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 means don't matter. Yeah, which is a personal pet peeve of mine. But <laughs> it seems like one of the Riddick Chronicles was like that. Didn't want to watch those, but. Yeah, I haven't seen them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Vin Diesel. No, is that Vin Diesel? Yeah. 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 Well, I had, I read a very interesting interview, and hopefully this ties in. Um, <laughs> I read an interesting interview with, I can't think of his name right now. I'd have to look him up. In, in World Magazine, they did this interview with an author in the most recent issue of, who's a Christian, who's, who's written some YA books, fantasy setting. He's obviously very influenced by Lewis and Tolkien. But they were talking about like how dark should a story be. And I don't remember if this was exactly the answer to this question, but he commented that he didn't particularly like the Joker in The Dark Knight because the way he put it was the Joker is just this absolutely insane guy. He's somewhat omnipresent. He gets to these places faster, like really fast. He's He is able to orchestrate the stuff so perfectly, whereas Batman is just a billionaire in a goofy suit, which I thought was a really interesting statement. I mean, most people who remember The Dark Knight remember the joker yeah and so that's an interesting statement in in a sense of you've got a villain that in some way outshines the hero which is always a problem in my book yeah and i and i i agree in that movie the joker really does for all kinds of reasons way he's written also the way he's acted which is yeah insanely awesome but Uh, the character himself there's a sort of and it's not the only movie but there's a sort of glorification of evil okay yeah he's bad but he's kind of got a point. He's he's got he's good. He's kind of got a point. And I'm not necessarily against giving the bad guy a point. But I guess my definition of evil is that it's wrong. And I'm not sure you want your wrong person being idolized. Yeah. And and there's a lot of reasons for that. And we talk about some of the villains. You got the power. They tend to be very smart and suave and debonair. And another way to portray evil, which is a little trickier because it requires a little bit more of finesse, I guess. Is to make them very smooth, very um, appealing on purpose. To make them purposely not feel evil. Like, you know they are, but they don't feel it. An angel of light sort of thing. Yeah, an angel of light sort of thing. Yeah, I, I thought that a while ago and forgot the phrase. but Which is something I'm trying to do with the with the thieves in the, the bandits in Strand Fred, largely. Uh-huh. Is that they have this sort of, because I know people enjoy or are attracted to evil or to... The perce- at least their perception of evil. Even when you're really, in real life, when you actually face it truthfully, you know, not blindly, 
is a disgusting thing. I mean, yeah, you don't like it. Mm-hmm. But in books, it's very easy. I mean, or, or you see it halfway or, you know, is to play with that idea and saying, okay, so I'm liking this person and I know technically I'm not, but why, why is this guy, you know, is it, mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't know if it'll work in my book, but it's largely that there's these, these standards that the, the people have, the Horizon people, they say, this is right, this is wrong. These guys are on the other side of it. But having to hold on to that while half their people are being attracted to their exciting lifestyle and mm-hmm. this sort of uh, cerebral wrestling with. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, I haven't read this this yet, obviously, but I'm looking forward to seeing how you tackle that. Because that was, you were, were kind of setting that up in yeah. book two, because the Horizon folk are this very conservative folk and they're, they're very conservative i don't mean that necessarily in a political sense but i, well, I mean maybe they would be but nope. just in the sense of they, they they're a little bit little house on the prairie kind of yeah <laughs> yeah and so i mean and whereas the thieves bring in this much more kind of modern influence of hey just let us do you know do what we want doesn't matter but don't let make us go by your rules man <laughs> and they're not and they're not necessarily doing anything bad at this point, you know, right, they're just right. like, look, we have different ways of living. Why don't we just get along and try to argue how much of this sort of accommodation is good and how much of this sort of accommodation is a threat to the Horizon people. Right. And so that's a that's a more subtle way of doing evil as opposed to some of my other characters, <laughs> like Alcazar, who's just insane. Or... Uh... Who's the the uber magician? Oh, guy? Galleon. Galleon. Yeah. yeah, he's scary. Yeah, he's scary. Yeah, you got people who are, have very strong philosophy. And but the thing is, well, that's a villain thing, so I'm not going to go there. We yeah. talked about that already. How do I guess I should ask though? How how do we reconcile with? Because when we talked about the villains, we sort of talked about how we liked having them be multifaceted. How we liked, you know, the the hope for redemption there, or you see, you know, the being able to see, you know, the Londo thing. If only they had done this differently, they could have been a good, a better yeah. person. And it's a lesson, even though they don't be good, right? Um, so how do we? How do you comprise that with wanting to feel sympathetic toward them, but also showing evil as evil and not just evil is? You know what comes off to me is uh, Night of the Hunter which we talked about, oh, yeah. is that what was fascinating about that movie, and it's not probably done enough, is that evil guy, very smooth, debonair, he, he, he made you uncomfortable. Yeah, but made the audience uncomfortable. Yeah, but say, say you play him even more sympathetic. There's still a very strong balancing with the, the lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder sometimes if we don't have the balance. Sometimes the, either the villain is, the hero and the villain are kind of... They're both... All, yeah, or the I mean, good side, if if not hero and villain, then the good and the bad are kind of one is one outweighs the well, other. Well, and maybe they're both doubting. And, you know, and there's lots of ways to do this, but you know, maybe they're both both sides are doubting and wrestling, and then it gets really tricky and subtle. And there's no fa- hard fast rules. Yeah. But I think having a balance that okay, so I'm sympathetic for the bad guy, but there's a mirror or a, something to compare him against that is obviously better. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And I think that's that's one method, you know. Mm-hmm. In theory, you know, we've got the band student stuff, but then you have Fred, who has his own issues, but kind of has certain qualities that you highly mm-hmm. enjoy. It's like uh, when we did uh, the Revolution. Macalos was a very he was an evil guy, but he was someone you can kind of look up to because he had a variety of he was very powerful and knowledgeable. But then you have counteracting of Wells. Uh huh. And to use an example that 
some more of our listeners might be familiar yeah, with. Yeah, no, I'm using all these, like, things no one's have read. Um, like, first Spider-Man movie. Peter Parker gets his powers purely by accident and then winds up... At first, he starts using them to for selfish reasons, and then he starts helping other people. Norman Osborn actively seeks out his power, gets it, and continues using it for his own reasons. Now, mm-hmm. granted, in a sense... He had some justification, you know. He, he was just trying to save his company. They were unjustly trying to kick him out of his office, yada, yada, yada. But that doesn't excuse the things that he actually did once with those powers. Well, that's a nice... Talking about Alan 5, you got Londo, but you also have Sheridan, who's basically, by the end, talking last episode, kind of a Christ figure. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of just ascends into heaven at the end of the show that's yeah so you've got there there you've got your good balance of and, and i think this is why it's good to put these two conversations together we talked about god and fiction but we end up talking a lot about faith and fiction faith and fiction super 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 pe- christ-like figures in fiction okay yeah and not that you have to go that far but to have that um i mean if batman had been a stronger character in dark knight mm-hmm. maybe he would have been a balancing act too yeah and see, Joker. and see, yeah, and see, I always felt that the way they ended it with like Batman being chased by the police and basically, I mean, they basically lied to cover up Two Face mm-hmm. or what's his real name? When I guess going I, insane, they they were they were lying and to the public in order to, and then I was like, that's still kind of proving like the Joker was saying that you in order to you know maintain order, you you will essentially resort to deceit. Now, granted, it is the middle movie of three movies. Well, true. So we don't know how. So, I mean, so some of that's the setup for, you know, cliffhangers and stuff. But I wonder, actually, in that movie, now I'm thinking about it, what is Two-Face's real name? Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent. I was trying to remember. He's kind of actually a balance. I mean, Batman's kind of just the middle guy. Kind of, yeah. I suppose I mean, that's true. the problem is then Harvey Dent goes evil. Yeah. So, so, so it's, this very, it's this very heavy movement. I mean, the only person who's actually... I guess good at the end is Commissioner the people Gordon. on the the people on the boat and yeah. that don't blow each other up. Yeah, that's true. And Commissioner Gordon, mm-hmm. which are more minor characters. So maybe I mean maybe it's that lopsidedness. But again, I think that's probably partly because it's the middle. It's like watching Empire Strikes Back and say, wait, there's no balancing act to yeah, that's you true. know <laughs> to yeah. Darth Vader and Boba Fett and Luke like one being th- horrible and one <laughs> thing after another going wrong with the hero- for the heroes. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So it would be interesting because I think this next one has a lot of potential for Batman to kind of be awesome again. Possibly. Although, honestly, the trailer for Dark Knight Rises was not one that made me excited like some comic book trailers. It actually made me kind of dread. <laughs> I mean, not in the sense like, oh, man, I'm going to have to see this movie. But more like, man, this this could be another very heavy trip. That's true. Honestly, the superhero movie I'm most looking forward to this summer is The Avengers. Avengers should be pretty fun. And as a DC fanboy, that's kind of tough to say, <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, we, we've jumped around this decent, but I think I think we've really come down on the fact that the way you portray evil can... I mean, you got to be careful in some ways if you don't want it to be the focal point. Now, I guess maybe some people don't care that they're, they just... They like yeah. to talk about... They like to live through this sort of power trip on yeah. the evil side, but... Well, then again, you've got Ted Decker who tends to... In my opinion, I mean, he's a Christian writer, but in my opinion, he often focuses too much on the evil, which he would say is in an effort to shine light on it and to kind of expose it, which I think there's use for it. But I often think there's too much of a percentage of his books that's on that and not enough. It's it's lopsided, in my opinion. And I wonder, you know, and I think obviously in all these conversations, different authors will have different. Oh, yeah. You know, but yeah, I can I can completely see that. He probably just thinks that we don't think about evil and. 
some some of the culture doesn't think about evil as a category outside of these sort of extreme instances that outside of murder children related things and some Mm -hmm. other that there's not really a category that's called evil there's a category called mistakes Mm, that's right yeah I, i see what you're saying and I, know, I haven't read much Ted Decker, so I don't know if that's what he's doing. No, that's, but... that's a valid point, because most of his villains are evil from a very spiritual standpoint, not just like they were psychologically abused or... Well, doesn't he make a sense... Like doesn't that? he kind of very, uh, in some of his books, give a very physical kind of gross-out factor to what's really not necessarily a giant sin in the sense of... Nor- like, isn't there one in the circle, in the Earth Circle trilogy or something like that, where they're like, have filth all over them and worm, and they're enjoying oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the horde. They're like have some sort of really flaky skin condition, but they think it's just completely fine. Okay. And and all the people who have been saved in essence have normal skin, and they're like, "You guys are gross." I mean, I think it's worth focusing on evil as a way of if it's to say it's evil, mm-hmm. and not to kind of just no. That's have if that's that's a good no. You make a very good distinction there. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll <laughs> that's that's one of our one of our rambles uh, that we hope you enjoy, or at least got some new insights from. If not, you can um, well be nice to us, please. <laughs> we're, we're remember we're at a very scary place right now. Yeah, so. yeah, we're we're trying to keep saying. If with that said, let's go on into our soundtrack. Tim might think this evil, but I decided to pick another Maze Dude remix. You can help it. I, I, I understand. It's it's your conditioning. I, it is my conditioning. <laughs> Actually, I did I did try a lot of different things, and he he just kept coming back. He does a lot of kind of dark sounding songs, and which I kind of, I really dig the dark sounding songs. Not so much the dark sound dark stories necessarily. Anyways, this is a remix from Mass Effect. So it's a game we haven't heard from. It's called Saren's Prayer. I think that's how you say it. I've not played Mass Effect. And I picked it largely because it has this sort of dark but cool vibe that we often get when you're thinking about that sort of powerful version of evil, you know, that we sometimes get portrayed. And it's just really catchy. So, hope you enjoy.
Okay, so welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that song. Let's go on to our next segment, which will be a bit of story. So this was kind of a last minute idea that we had. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, we're not particularly well prepared for this half of the co- podcast. <laughs> sometimes we, that happens. Um, been a crazy week. But since we were talking about Nick's flash fiction, The Accuser, we thought we'd go ahead and present a dramatic reading of it. So here is The Accuser with the two of us and Nick's wife, Natasha Hayden. The defendant stood when he was called, a tall, handsome figure in the mold of Jimmy Stewart. He blinked a little and ambled to the stand, his back erect, not proud, assured. There were some growths of hair upon his chin and upper lip, as if he had forgotten to shave. His eyes were bright and lively, and as he faced the court, a good-natured smile flitted across his face. The tension was palpable as he was sworn in, but it proceeded without incident. The defense questioned its witness, then turned him over to the prosecutor. Your name is Lucifer, correct? Yes, that is what I said earlier. You understand that you are accused of countless incidents of murder, extortion, blackmail, and betrayal, and that these acts have caused untold amounts of suffering? I'm aware of the accusations. I've been aware of them for a long time. You claim to be the victim of a continuous and well-funded smear campaign. I am innocent on all accounts, so yes, that is what I claim. Tell me. What book did you take your oath upon? The Bible. The Bible clearly states that you tempted mankind and that your desire to drag as many of us into hell with you as possible. Is that not so? Does it really say that? If you have read the Bible, then you remember how God murdered every firstborn child in Egypt and later drowned the army. You will also remember how he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and commanded his people to slaughter every man, woman, and child in Canaan. Perhaps you will remember too how he threatened to wipe out his own chosen people and only at Moses' insistence relented, or how he allowed Samson to crush a palace full of men. They too had their wives and children. I could list many more incidents. His prophets foretold years of famine and war and brutality, and yet he did nothing to stop it. Where in that long litany of atrocities is my name mentioned? I confess that I rebelled against God. That is not what you accuse me of. You won't accuse me of it because you admire me for it. You accuse me instead of all the phantom evils that plague mankind. I understand you need to blame someone. At one time, you would not have even bothered with a trial, because you already assumed my fate was eternal damnation. But you are wiser now. You have made progress. I can see the sympathy you hold for me in your eyes and in your questions. You know that I am not to blame for all the pain and uncertainty of life, but you are only now allowing yourself to admit it, because what is new is hated. Progress is repressed until the people, with one voice, rise up and overthrow the tyrannical authority that oppresses them. God is the one who sentences you to death, not me. And for what? An apple? He's the one who lets your child grow ill, not me. He's the one who lets you lose your job. Is that love? To let his so-called children suffer? I can't do a thing without his permission. Couldn't he stop it all if he wanted? He is almighty, isn't he? But he is callous and distant and powerful. He talks a good game. But where is he when you're alone or hurt or dying? Convict me if you will, but ask yourself truthfully, do you want a God who expects what you can never do? He demands perfection, but he knows you sin. He doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about his own. Don't judge him by his words. Judge him by his actions. Yes, I tempted mankind. I admit it freely. I hoped to encourage you to seize your own freedom. 
The trial continued, and at its end, Satan was declared innocent by a jury of his peers. So, um, yeah, we, that is not to say that we would acquit Satan, but it is a very interesting argument to put on his own terms. And I don't think it's actually that far from an argument many people have, maybe not put in words, but have believed. Mm-hmm. Secretly. See, or, or just intuitively. Uh-huh. And I've actually read that some people thought, uh, like, Eve was, you know, doing a good thing by eating the apple because she was throwing off chains of whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little feminist. But. Oh, yeah, probably. Well, anyway, um, well, if that's, if that's the way you actually believe, I guess I would ask yourself, this is the this is the Satan that's presented in the Bible, and this is who you know he he's a manipulator of truth, and so I guess I would question that. But anyway, we'll leave we'll leave those questions to our listeners to decide, and we'll move on to our next segment. What if? Okay, Nick, our what if question for today. <laughs> What if you could create your own cartoon all-star team? It can be for any kind of sport you like. It can be, a, well, I guess I maybe mean, we should decide. Let's actually let's make it like a like a tag team relay race. Since you like your wacky races, I was gonna say okay. I was gonna say when you have wacky races, okay. So okay. so you you get a, a team of four characters, four cartoon characters. Yes. Okay. That will make up this team. Okay. Who, who will you have on yours? Um. If I pick Inspector Gadget, does Penny come with him? <laughs> no, I'd I'd say Inspector Gadget has to come on his own. Okay, okay. Um, I I had thought of that one actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let's think. I would need Puss in Boots from Puss in Boots Travels Around the World. You would. Yes, I would. Obviously, um, he's awesome, and you <laughs> must watch that at some point. Okay, in that case, and then I'll take Porco Rosso. Oh, <laughs> they're they're okay. Um, He's got the aviation routes taken. Then can I have a? Is it Cal Calcifer the the fire spirit? Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> I, I would give you Hal with him because Hal kind of needs Cal. Cal oh, okay. They kind of that's okay, kind of okay. Uh-huh. Those okay. kind of go together, I think. Okay. I don't. I'm gonna say Speed Racer. I I've never actually seen the cartoon. I'm more familiar with the movie, but I'll say Speed Racer. I want Rocky J Squirrel. Ooh. Okay. I kind of like that. For uh, uh, speed, so he's he's your aviation, and and he knows what he's doing. <laughs> okay, okay. For the for the outer space, let's say let's say that like you have a aviation, you have a ground person. Okay. Uh, you have an outer space one. Okay. And underwater. Underwater. So that makes it so so you've so I'm taking it how is how and Calcifer for your ground. Yeah. And works. then you you had. Um, Rocky J Squirrel for your aviation. Yeah. I had. Oh, uh, and then and then Puss and Boots can be underwater. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Does he have a submarine? Oh, he has everything. Oh. He okay. travels around the world in, in in all kinds of vehicles. So yeah. Okay. He has a submarine. All right. Um, I guess for my. Other... This is just this is a Puss and Boots from Puss and Boots around the world, not Antonio Banderas. A movie that no one has really no one ever has heard ever of. seen, but he's awesome regardless. <laughs> we should look up on Wikipedia see see if it's there. See if there's an entry. Yeah. There might be. Okay, for my outer space, you know, I'm I'm pulling I'm pulling as much from anime from actual cartoons, but that's yeah, okay. that's fine. Because I was gonna go with uh, you're taking Spike. Yes, that's what I was. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna go with okay. Spike and his swordfish, swordfish. Yeah, space space thing. ship thing. Okay, so I'm looking for a space 
So I don't suppose Yoda counts from the Clone Wars. I suppose so, but I never saw him actually pilot anything. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Okay, and that's true tradition. We want something a little more out there. Yeah, space is a tricky one. I'm thinking through. I had some ideas. I really need a Gundam Wing character, but I don't know any Gundam Wing characters. <laughs> uh, I need a... What's his name? What's his name? Karu. Karu? Is that the 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 sixth Ava pilot who lives on the moon? Oh, okay. The like who's actually an angel? Yeah, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> okay, he's hardcore. He'll tear you apart. <laughs> the Spike doesn't have a chance against him. I think he could give him run for his money. At oh least. come on, he's gonna be singing Beethoven's Ninth and killing you. But I've got swing music. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. You got swing music. I think it'll be a close match. That's true. Okay. A very bizarre match. <laughs> it wasn't him. I might have to go with like some Thundercat. Okay. Um, under what man? I I made a really hard one for myself. Don't, I, don't we have four people now? Well, let's see. I had Porco Rosso, mm-hmm. Speed Racer, Spike from Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, my all minor anime so far. Uh, those are my three. Okay. I, oh, I, I went first though. That's why I have. Yeah, you you went first. Okay. Um, so I think I need to come up with one more. Um, and I'm blanking on a underwater, underwater. character. Um, like the snorkels. Yeah, I thought, I thought of that. I don't know if they have... They're kind of a strange fit with the rest of them, but I'll take that. SpongeBob. <laughs> no, I'll go with the snorkels. I've never actually seen their cartoon, but I'll go well, with I've seen them just a handful. They're like underwater Smurfs. How can you go wrong with Exa- that? Exactly. So okay, awesome. So that's that's our that's our what if we're <laughs> we're doing kind of a whirlwind tour of whirlwind segments. <laughs> so let's go on to our next one, which is our take on tales. So I think we need to do a very brief TV rundown. Yeah, of what TV shows we're watching right now. Yeah, if you're not watching Once Upon a Time, you, you should need be. be watching Once Upon a Time. It is it is the best, our, our, currently our favorite show, probably. Yeah. Followed by Alcatraz for me. I think Alcatraz is a very good show. Well, let's talk about Once Upon a Time real quick. Yeah. Um, the Grumpy episode is the one that we most recently saw. There may be another one before this podcast comes out. Should be. But it was kind of fun. At the same time, I was kind of agreeing with some internet things like does every single backstory have to involve romance i mean i know it's a fairy tale thing i think it's hard to get around that and yeah. what i what i most appreciate about their backstories is that the little things that connect you know all the fairy tales are a vastly different world i mean yeah. originally true they, they 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 have this world system kind of being made you know you got the fairy dust and you got the the dwarves have this job of mining the diamonds to become the fairy dust and the fairy dust kind of runs the world very mm-hmm. uh, magical light on the island sort of thing yeah um and I, I like the fact that everything's connected and you know and bell shows up and that's kind of where she's being hung out you know yeah that was nice I, I like the fact that there's kind of this coherent world being built out of all these bizarre fairy tales uh-huh. i am very curious how many kingdoms are in this <laughs> this land the tenth kingdom did you ever watch that miniseries no i never oh, did. it was kind of cool but that, I guess that's fitting, too, for a very universe. There's always It's always kings and queens being involved somehow. Yeah, and I, and when I have a feeling love will be kind of the, the theme of... Well, because true love is what breaks curses, you know? Yeah. So I, I, my theory has always been... Not always been, but kids are a big deal in this. Yeah, no, they um, really are. And I would not be surprised if somewhere near the end, to break certain curses, Henry and the mayor have to actually have this good relationship reestablished. Interesting. I don't I don't know. I just because that's the only broken I mean that's one of the broken relationships. So they're playing her both ways. Uh-huh. I could see a redemption arc for her it at can some be point. Interesting. I do feel that they do need 
they do need to make some more breakthroughs in terms of like you can only go so many episodes with like they always have like these very minor victories but then there's always something really worse that's going on <laughs> yeah, the queen it's... is always i i have a feeling <laughs> you feel i feel like there's lots of little things being added up that might come together at some point here you know we got the what's the not wife's name Oh yeah, the the one who just she's, disappeared. She's disappeared, and then you got the rider still there. The rider is interesting. I have a feeling he's going to be a very powerful ally. And you got you got. I I just feel like there's lots of little things that are kind of just being of course that sprinkled could be, around. Of course that could just be us our uh, bias there. We want the it's the rider character. The rider will come, come to the on, rescue. In a fairy tale world, the rider is always awesome. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever? Well, that's very um, never ending story. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, I, although I had heard. Some some people speculate that he's actually Stephen King, because he's because oh, it's he's a always, name. And yeah. he's always writing himself into his own books, <laughs> at least in in the Dark Tower. And yeah. then, I'll just, you haven't watched Alcatraz? No, I haven't seen much. I think it's no. built. I mean, for single, for being largely a escape convict of the week sort of show, very compelling flashbacks. A lot, you know, it, you can tell there's this slow net of connections, and they're they're spacing it out really well. There's there's a little bit, but not too much, and. But they, they run very much, and both of these shows run very much in the Lost style of flashbacks. Yeah, well... They're both Lost writers. There's, yeah, involved. Lost alumni, yep. Um, but, yeah, Alcatraz is film. Jack Bender's work in Alcatraz, so okay. some of the cinematography and set is really great. Jack Bender, a big TV director from Lost mm -hmm. and um, Alias. I think he worked on Alias, oh, he, too, I believe. Okay. I think. But it's a very slick show, and I like the characters, and we'll see if it gets into a rut or not, because there is always next guy who escaped but I'm, yeah. i've been really enjoying it. i mean it's darker than once upon a time uh, yeah well, certainly I'd, I'd be curious to try it out sometime the only my tv watching habits yeah. are not real that's regular. all i had that's well i watched i caught up with terra nova okay which then they canceled it did they actually end up canceling it yeah because so. the, here's the thing it, it was a it was a week start and kind of just kind of piddled around not bad but not great mm -hmm. and the last couple episodes they really knocked up their game and it was still a little cheesy or whatever, but it was really good. I won a new season by the end, and then... It's too late. Yeah, it just it, took them too long to get anything really moving. Yeah, that's usually the way it goes. I guess the one that I do try to catch occasionally, and I don't always get to because I'm usually busy on Thursday nights when it's on, but it's Person of Interest. Oh, I still... Yeah, I want to catch up on that when season one is done. I, I've, I've had a chance. To, I've seen just, I mean, episodes here and there. My family has been able to keep up with it much more than I have. But what's fun about it is that it's sort of a procedural cop show with there's always something unexpected. It's a really nice mix of the spontaneity and the, like, because sometimes, you know, they so they get this name. Mm -hmm. I, I don't yeah. know if you remember yeah. the basic. I've watched a couple episodes. So, I mean, they get this name and they know that either this person is about to be targeted to kill or he's about to, he's eventually going to try killing someone. But they don't know which it is. So that always... Sometimes you're convinced that it's one way and it turns out to be another. Sometimes the hunch was right, but it's always, it's really interesting the way they're able to use the conventions that they set up and so that it feels sort of like a procedural and that you know that they're going to follow this guy for a while and they'll try to get close with him. But there's always something, it's less procedural than like your average crime scene investigation mm. show. Yeah, that's one of those I would like catch up on because I watched a few episodes and I thought it was, it had a lot of potential and it, it was really well done. Yeah. And great characters. I mean, both the main characters are yeah. very compelling. Again, very different from Once Upon a Time. They're yeah. very stoic, kind of reserved characters, but very cool. And then real quick, not really TV, we need a, we need a brief recommendation to go see the movie you just watched. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, not really a TV at all, but we finally saw The Secret World of Ariety. 
And yeah, good stuff. Good Ghibli goodness. My favorite part was just the environments and stuff. And just because, I mean, you're you're seeing everyday things from a very made look made to look very big. And so it's just, again, with the kind of Ghibli beautiful backgrounds and art that's inherent in it. It's just really cool and worth seeing in the theater. If you have a chance, you you better hurry if you get to it because I don't know how By much By the time longer. this podcast comes out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But all right. That's good. And that will be our take on Tales. And we'll wrap up this whirlwind of segments with Project Update. Um, so we're working on some sort of project that we can't talk about right now. That's right. So, And um, I wrote like a page or two this week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And posted a short, uh, a flesh fiction mm-hmm. that you should watch and read. Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Hey there. Yeah, that's, that's good. Although I also, I have, uh, I'm going to start doing more videos with my church now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. They actually are going to start paying me for some of these things. Paying is good. That's uh, So that is very cool. So that's an exciting part of the update cool. but anyway okay all right. right that's that's all we got that's all we've got I, you, we need to sell shirts that say that's all we've got that would be real trained shirts <laughs> i would buy one like it has the logo on the back and on the front or no well i don't know how you would do it logo somewhere like on the pocket on the back says that's all we've got yeah that makes sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right that, that'd, be, that'd be pretty cool <laughs> we, sh- we should do that and whole get a cafe press thing yeah exactly <laughs> So you definitely got your money's worth. You got not one, two, three, four segments. I know. We should have had Brian in here for like two minutes. (laughs) We would have had to like transport him in from New York or Philadelphia, wherever he's world traveling now. now. World traveling now, yep. Anyway, let's uh, wrap all this up with with some contact info. All right. You can uh, visit us on our website, which is derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. You can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. If you still want a copy of Tale of Trilogy, that offer, email us. The offer is still on the table. And that's basically how you contact us. Yep. Pretty simple. A, a telepathy, if you have that ability. I We will be very scared, but as long as we're at Arkham Asylum, we'll believe about anything. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so let's wrap this up so we can get out of here. Um, for soundtrack today, I'm going with Gollum's song from the soundtrack to Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Um, I haven't quite decided if I'm going to use the original soundtrack or like a cover so I can use the full time. I haven't quite figured out what's the best way to do that. So here's some version of, of Gollum's song that uh, I'll include in post. Or I mean, <laughs> this is live. <laughs> here's a version of Gollum's song. Thank you for listening to episode 29 of Derailed Trains of Thought. Yep. Uh, we'll see you later. Uh, we're going to make a jailbreak with the rest of these guys. Yeah, it looks like looks like that guy that's all decked in green is ready to uh, get something going here. I kind of like his uh, like his question mark. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, Doctor Who. <laughs> all right. Uh, see you later. This has been Tim. Oh, yeah. This has been Nick. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>
This episode of Derailed Trains of Thought has been brought to you by the Psychor. John, why aren't you outside playing with the other kids? They hate me. Now, John, it's true. I'm just... I'm different, Mom. I can feel what they think about me. And they know I can. I called one of them a liar because I knew he wasn't telling the truth somehow. And he just kept hitting me until I said I was the liar. I just don't know what to do anymore. Don't worry, Johnny. We'll take care of it from here. Mom, look, a psychop. That's right, Johnny. You know, there are a lot of other kids who feel just the same way you do. They're confused and afraid, but they don't have to be. The problem isn't that other kids don't like you. It's that they don't understand you. But we do. You're special. You're a latent telepath about to come into full bloom. My Johnny, a telepath? Probably. But to be sure, take him down to the Psychor Testing Center first thing tomorrow. How do I find one? We're everywhere, for your convenience. We have offices and schools and children's hospitals. We even have mobile testing centers that travel the country. And if he qualifies, we'll give him an education, a job, a purpose. And we'll pay all his bills for life. Oh. Oh, John, I can't believe it. You've come so far. Just look at you. We're all so proud. And I'm proud to be part of the Psychor. So remember, if you know someone who might be a telepath, or think you might be one yourself, help them get the help they need. Call the core. Call government information for more on a Psychor center near you. This message has been brought to you by the Ministry for Public Information and your local Psychor recruitment office.